You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of our pew Bibles, our pew Bibles there. If you don't own a Bible and you need a Bible, you would like a Bible, that is our gift to you. These Bibles are not meant to stay here in this worship center. It is to be used to take home with you. That's our gift uh, for, for the church, our church to you. So do not be shy about taking one with you if you do not own a copy of God's Word. The cop- God's Word is central to what we do during this time, and so we want to get that into your hands. In life, there are some really big questions, and I don't want to sound philosophical. I'm not a philosophical guy. I'm pretty um, simple um, for the most part, but I want to ask, there's some big questions in our lives that we ponder, like how did we get here? Right? Have you ever wondered, like, how did we get here? What is the meaning of life? How many of you have ever asked yourself these questions? What's the meaning of life? Well, when it comes to church, when it comes to the church, we have to ask the question, why are we here? What is the point of all of this? Now, as we ask this question... I want us to just stop for a moment and really think about this. Why are we here? Why? Why are you here this morning? Why did you get up on a cold, another cold Sunday, and I guess summer's coming eventually, maybe not. I mean, we're in the new ice age, who knows. But why did you get up Make the effort to come in the cold, get dressed, maybe get your kids out of bed or your kids get you out of bed, however that works. Why did you go to the effort of coming this morning? Why am I here? What is, what is the point of all of this? Maybe for some of us, we're part of a church because we were raised that way, and this is what we do on Sundays. Just like you put your trash out, maybe your trash day is on Thursday, and you put your trash out on Thursday, maybe this is just what you do on Sundays, and so you're here. Sometimes we are a part of a church because maybe it makes us feel good about ourselves, and Maybe we can walk away from here feeling like we did something good and we started our week off right, almost like going to the gym and working out. We come to church on Sunday to start our week off right. Maybe we're part of a church because we really like the people and we have good friends that go too, and so that's why we go. Sometimes we can be part of a church and go to church, and we're going to talk about that in just a second because that's not even the correct terminology, but sometimes we're part of a church because maybe we think we can earn some kind of brownie points with God and be counted as a good person and earn some kind of favor with God. Perhaps we're part of a church to serve and to give back, and for some of us, it's maybe something for us to do to keep us busy. 
Or we can come to church and we want to come and we want to learn about God and worship Him and feel connected to Him. And these reasons that I just listed off, I just kind of listed off because honestly, there have been times in my life when I have been a part of a church because I was raised that way. I was raised, it's Sunday, you go to church. Or I, have, I am guilty of going to church to feel good about myself. And I did something good to start my week off right. I have gone to church before because I really like the people. And I had good friends that go too. I'm guilty of being a part of a church because I think I can earn some kind of brownie points with God and earn some kind of favor with Him. And therefore, I'm counted as a good person. I've been a part of a church to serve and to give back. And there's been times, especially when I was a teenager, I went to church because it gave me something to do. I've, gone, I've been in a part of churches to learn about God, to worship Him and feel connected to Him. And I'll be honest, these reasons aren't necessarily bad, okay? Don't hear me. Don't hear me wrong. These Reasons are not necessarily bad, and I wanted to correct some terminology I just used. We do not go to church, because the church is not a building. The church is, is not an organization. It's people. You remember that little phrase that maybe when you were, when you were a child, this is the church, these are the people, or I, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors to see all the people. You remember that? Like that is such bad terminology, Right? Because the church is not a building, it's not organization, it's people. The church is people. So how can you go to something if you are something? But that's a whole other uh, debate and argument for another time. But when we look at Scripture, we see that we as the church, we as a group of people, we have to ask the question, why as a local church, we have the global church, but the local church why are we here? Like, I'll be honest, what we do on Sunday, let's just think about it, let's just be open and transparent, it's a little weird, isn't it? It's a little bit odd. I mean, there's nothing else like it on the face of the planet that we come to worship and we sing songs and we read scripture and we give money and we give of our time and of our talent. And it gets a little bit odd. Like when you really break it down, it's a little bit strange. Don't look at me like that. It's, it's a little bit weird. You come and you hear someone talk for a while and hopefully not too long, but you come and like, why? What is the point of all of this? Why are we here? Why are we here? Scripture we see clearly that the church exists for something. We exist for something. Like, how many of you like Chick-fil-A? Be honest, okay? You can't be, you can't be a, a person that's part of a church without liking Chick-fil-A, okay? They have marketed themselves for us, right? Yeah, I love Chick-fil-A. Of course, now we're all going to want Chick-fil-A now, but unfortunately, they're closed right now. We can't go get Chick-fil-A today, but I love Chick-fil-A. And here's why I like Chick-fil-A. Because they do one thing, and they do it really, really well. What is that? They serve chicken. 
They exist to serve chicken. Like, I doubt, maybe they will. I, I, I just don't see it in their future. I don't ever see Chick-fil-A serving hamburgers. I just don't think they're going to go there. Okay, why? Because that cow, he's trying to convince us to eat more chicken. So are you going to kill off that cow eventually? Like, Chick-fil-A is not going to do it. They are very clear about why they exist as an organization, as a restaurant, as a fast food chain. It's to eat more chicken, to get us to eat more chicken. It's all about chicken with Chick-fil-A. Well, we as a church exist, when we look at Scripture, we exist to reach people with Jesus and to see lives changed by Him. We see that in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. We see that in Acts chapter 1 and really the entire book of Acts. That the church exists to reach people with Jesus and to see their lives changed by Him. And we can phrase that a hundred different ways. If you go, just Google that. Google church mission statements, vision statements. And you can, they, you can, hundred, a hundred, you, you can phrase it a hundred different ways. But just simply, if we were just to boil it all down, simply put, the church is to be reaching people with Jesus and to see lives changed by Him. Write that down. The church is to be reaching people with Jesus and to see lives changed by him. That's pretty simple. Now, how we do it, that's where it gets a little crazy. But that's why we're here. To see the lives of people changed by Jesus. Because when people are exposed to Jesus, their lives change. There's change that happens. So that's why we're here. And honestly, everything that is done by the church, it's pretty negotiable on how that is supposed to be done, on how people are to be reached. But we want to see people reached with Jesus and to see their lives changed by him. And so faith family, you might be asking yourself, Adam, why? Why invite your one on April 29th? I hope you're asking that question. Why? Why are we working together as a faith family to invite people to come on April 29th, but not just on April 29th. I had someone ask me in our church, they're related to me, ask me, well, can we ask, it was not my wife, so don't, don't think that, okay? <laughs> what, we, can't, we can't invite someone this Sunday? We have to invite them on the last Sunday of April? No, we can invite them on the other 29th, that's not the point, but we want to be working as a church to invite your one on April 29th. Why? To create a culture in our church of reaching people with Jesus and to see lives changed by him. That's how we define success here. Is are we reaching people with Jesus and seeing lives changed by him? We don't define success by our building. We don't define success by how many people attend on Sunday. No, we define success by reaching people with Jesus and seeing their lives changed by them, by him. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. I believe here in Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul, he helps us see what, how we do this, reaching people and seeing their lives changed by him, by Jesus. 
So in the earlier parts of this book in Romans, the Apostle Paul helps us break down the gospel. I said that on Easter Sunday two weeks ago, that the book of Romans is like looking under the hood of the gospel. We see how the gospel works. We see how the engine runs. Uh, we see all of that. And in chapter one of Romans, we, Paul explains to us human sinfulness, how we're all sinful as human beings. In chapters 2 and 3, he teaches that God is a righteous judge upon sin, and it doesn't matter if we are a Jew, we are a Jew or a Gentile, that we all deserve God's righteous judgment of our sin. And then in Romans chapters 4 and 5, we see that we are in need of salvation, and it only comes through faith in Christ. In chapter 7, we see that even a believer in Christ is going to struggle with sin. Remember, Paul says, I do the things I shouldn't do, and I don't do the things I should do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Like, he kind of has a hissy fit. He's a little bit depressed in chapter 7. Then chapter 8, Paul's in a little bit better mood. We have this glorious celebration of salvation provided in Christ. He says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in, back in the chapter 9 through 11, we have more of looking under the hood of the gospel. And then we arrive here in chapter 12. We get to chapter 12 here in Romans. And Paul begins to paint a picture of what everyday living looks like because of the gospel. How does the gospel impact our lives on a day in and day out basis? How does the reality that we are separated from God because of his holiness and our, sin, and our sinfulness, and that Jesus came to die for the price of our sin and was resurrected to seal our salvation, the gospel, the good news, how does that reality affect our everyday lives? Well, Paul unpacks that for us in Romans chapter 12. He starts there. And he starts with verse 1. So look at verse 1. And this is all we're going to look at this morning. We're going to ring out verse 1. We're going to look at verse 1. So look at it there. It says, verse 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. So Paul starts out this section saying, therefore, in view of the mercies of God. So let's just take that phrase. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters. So that's who, who's he talking to? Us. Brothers and sisters. He says, in view of the mercies of God. So what's he talking about there in the mercies of God? He's basically saying everything that I've talked about in the first 11 verses, in view of what I've been talking about for 11 chapters, been talking about the gospel, how it impacts our lives, the salvation that comes through faith in Christ, in view of all that, in view of God's mercy. So what he's saying here is basically, if you believe everything about the gospel I've previously written about in chapters 1 through 9, then you're going to live it out. Your life is going to be different. Your life is going to be changed because of these realities previously in chapters 1 through 11. Then he says here, if you believe this, in view of the mercies of God, he says, I urge you. He pleads with us. He's pleading with us. So he says, I urge you 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now let's push pause here for a second. We need some clarification on what he's talking about here. Is Paul talking about human sacrifice here? Yes or no? No. Hopefully that's pretty obvious. Paul is not saying that we need to be having human sacrifice here. No, absolutely not. What is Paul talking about here when he talks about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice? What Paul's talking about here is being willing to give up anything and everything for the sake of the gospel. Willing to die to ourselves. Willing to die to our own wants, needs, and desires for the sake of the gospel. Now that's really hard to do, isn't it? I don't like sacrifice. I'll be honest, I don't like anything that's hard. I like easy, right? Why? Because I'm a human being and I'm lazy. I like easy. Give me something easy, not hard. And sacrifice is hard. And what Paul's talking about in giving up our own wants, needs, and desires that is really, really hard because we're selfish. We're incredibly selfish. And there's times in our lives where we can will ourselves to make sacrifice. Like if you have kids, you're willing to sacrifice for them, usually sleep. You're willing to sacrifice. And we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get the willpower to sacrifice, but sometimes that will only get us so far. And in the Christian life, this call to sacrifice is not something you and I have in, our, have in and of ourselves to do on our own. We're not going to do it because we're talking about the spiritual realm and we're depraved, we're sinful, so therefore we're selfish, And so it's really, really hard. And so what we need is an example. We need a form. We need something to follow to show us how to do this. Well, I've got really good news for you. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Hold your finger here in Romans because we're going to come back. But look at Philippians chapter 2. It's almost like Paul knows that this sacrifice is going to be really, really hard. This is not going to be easy. This is not going to be an easy pill to swallow. This sacrifice of willing to die to ourselves, to our own wants and needs and desires, it's really, really hard. So Paul gives encouragement to a church in Philippi the Philippians. And he gives them some encouragement. And he says here in verse 5, he says, adopt the same attitude. We're in Philippians 2, verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. So who's the example? 
Who's the form that we're supposed to fit into? Who is our example? Who sets the pattern and the pace for us? Jesus. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Wow. That's quite a standard to live up to. That's quite a mark to live up to. So what Paul is saying is have the exact same attitude as Jesus. How Jesus lived, you lived. And how did, he, how did Jesus live? Jesus was God. He was in heaven. He, he enjoyed all the glories and majesty of heaven. He was being worshipped by the angels. And then he was, he was equal with God. But he did not consider that something to be exploited. Other translations say to be grasped at. The picture there is of a rock climber grasping for this, that rock to pull themselves up. Something, some translations say, to be attained. He didn't view that as really as important. He didn't think it would be something to take advantage of. And so instead, in verse 7, it says he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Now, don't think of a butler like Jeeves, okay? That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the form of a slave. When we read servant in the Bible, it really means slave. And what does a slave have? Nothing. There's no rights. There's no freedom. You don't get to make the... If you're, if you're a slave, you don't get to, to make decisions on your own. You get told to do what you're supposed to do, and you do it. So by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of humanity. Have you ever thought about what it meant for Jesus as God to take on the form of, of humanity, to be a human being? And then when he had come as a man, not that that, would, that was a, an extreme sacrifice, but he takes it a step further. Even when he had come as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself by coming, becoming obedient to the point of death. Even to death on a cross. So there's the mark. That is what sacrifice looks like. So then back in verse 1, back in, in Romans 12, that is how we're supposed to look. That is what it's supposed to look like. That is what sacrifice is supposed to look like. Look like emptying ourselves. Taking on the form of a slave. No rights. And as for us as Americans, that's really hard to hear, Right? Because we have our rights. Don't take away my rights. But as Christians, we have no rights. And it says down into now verse 1, Paul keeps going. And he says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So what is Paul calling true worship? Have you ever wondered what that is? What is true worship? Like we want to know, are we worshiping in a true way? And a lot of times we think, when we think of worship, what do we think of? Music. 
right? Now listen, music's important. Don't hear me wrong. Music is important. But that's not what we're talking about here. So when he says this is true worship, what's he talking about? True worship is not music or singing songs or whatever we've created to slap on the label of worship. No. What is true worship? Sacrifice. So worship is not something we do. Worship is something that we are. We don't do worship. As Christians, we should be worship. Because Paul says, this is your true worship. So true worship is being a living sacrifice. Now it's interesting. He doesn't say a dead sacrifice, does he? He says a living sacrifice. So we know dying's not implied here. But sacrifice definitely implies killing and death. I think in Genesis when Abraham was taking his son Isaac up on the mount to sacrifice him, what was the implication there? He was going to kill him. He was going to kill him. So sacrifice always implies killing and death. But this is a living sacrifice. So we're not talking about physical death. So to be a living sacrifice is to die to yourself, to die to myself Over and over and over and over and over. To die to ourselves. To die to our own wants, needs, and desires. When we are a Christian, we are to put to death the idea that our lives is at our own. We do not have the right to live as we choose. No, we are to die to ourselves over and over and over again. But here's what is interesting. Because when we read this passage, we can immediately think, this is how I have to live in my individual life. And that's true. But there's a corporate piece to this. Because look again at verse 1. Notice the nouns. Okay, let's have a little bit of an English lesson. lesson. Notice the nouns. Verse 1, brothers and sisters. That's plural. Bodies. That's plural. So there's an implication of more than one, right? And am, am I following the English lesson here, right? I'm not an English major. I never would claim to be an English teacher. But I think I'm following the grammar right. So there's more than one. Brothers and sisters and bodies, there's more than one. Okay? Is the implication, am I, am I, am I, are you tracking with me? Are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? All right, so he says brothers and sisters, plural, bodies, plural. These words are plural. But then look at the word sacrifice. It's singular. So it changes. It goes from brothers and sisters. It goes from bodies to singular to sacrifice. It's not sacrifices. It's sacrifice. So what is is the implication by the way the grammar is working here and the way Paul is talking here? The implication is not that we're all making individual sacrifices. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the corporate body, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, brothers and sisters, present your bodies as living sacrifices? No, that would imply individuality. No, 
sacrifice. So Paul is saying, as a group, sacrifice. As a group, die. As a group, die to yourselves over and over and over again. So this is the church. Here's what the church is. It's a partnership. I like that word partnership, don't you? It's a partnership of multiple people making one sacrifice together. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what the church is? Multiple people making one sacrifice together. I view it almost like a sports team. A sports team sacrificing, working out, watching what they eat, sacrificing time for one common goal, a championship. That's what the church is. It's a partnership of multiple people making one sacrifice together. So Leewood Church, hear me. Here's the answer to the original question at the very beginning of our time. What are we here for? Why are we here? It's for one thing. It's for sacrifice. We are here together to partner together to die. Now, not physically, because we're talking living, a living sacrifice, but we together are to be dying together over and over and over and over again. We are to die together to our own wants, our own needs, our own desires, our preferences. For what? What is the end result of the sacrifice that we're supposed to be partnering together to die to ourselves for what? To reach people with Jesus so we can see their lives changed by him. That's what we're called to sacrifice for, nothing else. The reason we are here is to sacrifice so people can know Jesus. To sacrifice, to die to ourselves over and over again so people can know Jesus. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here to make ourselves feel good. We're not here to give ourselves something to do. We're not here to give, uh, to, to, to earn brownie points and favor with God. We're not here for any of that. We're here to sacrifice. I heard this week, and I really like this. You might want to write this down. I'll say it a couple times. I really like this. The church is together called to sacrifice everything except the gospel for the sake of the gospel. Let me say that again. The church is together called to sacrifice everything except the gospel for the sake of the gospel. That is what we are to do as the church. So Leewood Faith Family, we are called commanded to sacrifice everything except one thing, the gospel. 
We are called to sacrifice everything together for the sake of the gospel. And that's why we're doing Invite Your One. It's to move us as a faith family together, as partners in ministry, in a partnership together, to move ourselves to an attitude and a culture of sacrifice so people can hear the gospel. And for some of us, just inviting someone to church is a huge sacrifice. Because we're all built in to varying degrees. We all have a built-in desire for people to like us. We have built in us a fear of rejection, some more than others. We're afraid of what people might say, what people might think, that we might come across as radical, as a religious nut, And this is a huge sacrifice for some of us to just invite someone to church. I get it. It's hard. It doesn't feel good. But let me tell you, we are called to sacrifice. But we're not called to sacrifice alone. We're called to sacrifice together corporately, in a partnership together. We are called to sacrifice. We are called, as it says in Ephesians 5, to yield to one another in love. We're called to sacrifice, and the awesome thing is we're doing it together. That's why support groups are so popular in our culture. If you're grieving, you can find a support group. So you can partner together with people who are going through grief. If you're trying to exercise, you can join support groups and classes. Why? Because peer pressure. You're better together. If we want to lose weight and start eating better, there's support groups that we can join. Faith, family, the church is a support group. Not for grief, not for eating, not for anything else, but we are a support group together for sacrifice because it's really hard. It doesn't feel good. It's, It's hard for us to sacrifice, to put to death our own wants, needs, and desires, but we have brothers and sisters that we gather together to encourage one another to die, to die to ourselves, because it's a partnership. So in closing, let's read this verse. With all we've unpacked together, let's read this verse together one more time, and then we're done. The Apostle Paul says, verse 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So let's worship together. Pray with me.
Lord, as we think about your word and what you are calling us to do, we need help. Holy Spirit, we need you. Because we recognize as human beings that we are incredibly selfish. We are incredibly prideful and arrogant. We're manipulative and we're out to have our own wants, needs, and desires met. And God, we, we ask for forgiveness. We pray that you would break us, yes, as individuals, but corporately as a church, that we would be willing and able to sacrifice. Help us to be willing to sacrifice everything except the gospel for the sake of the gospel. God, as a church, we want nothing more than for people to know you. Jesus, we want, we want people to have their lives changed by you as you have changed and are changing our lives. We want to see that happen but we know it's going to require sacrifice, so give us grace to sacrifice. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would kill us of our pride, kill us of our self and selfishness, and give us the grace to do it. God, thank you for the church. Thank you that you've given us a support group for sacrifice. Thank you that our sacrifice, as we sacrifice, that we don't do it alone, but we have brothers and sisters who can encourage us, who can love us, that can hold our hands as we do this together. And so God, as a faith family, we put everything on the table, except the gospel. We put everything on the table so that people can know you. Lord, we pray for our invite your one day on April 29th. God, I know for many of us, if not most of us, it is a scary and an uncomfortable thing to invite someone to church. It's scary and hard for us to share our faith. And so I pray that you would change us, cause us to sacrifice what people may think about us, what they could say about us, all so we can see people's lives changed by you. Jesus, thank you for the change you have brought in our lives. Thank you for how you are changing our lives. And I pray that we would see that repeated in the lives of people more and more and more. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.